Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. coming to Reppin. I'm Evelyn, your host. Today, my guest was a former communications executive who became a stay-at-home mom and had a Facebook page with 75 friends. After the tragic shooting at Sandy Hook, she went online in hopes to create a conversation about gun safety. What started as a simple online conversation moved offline to become an organization that now has half a million social media followers and about six million real-life supporters. This organization is Moms Demand Action. It's a powerful grassroots movement of Americans fighting for public safety measures that can protect people from gun violence. And now it has a chapter in every state of the country. She's also the author of Fight Like a Mother, how a grassroots movement took on the gun lobby and why women will change the world. She's been called the NRA's worst nightmare, and now she leads an army of moms for gun sense. She is fierce. She is passionate. She is Shannon Watts. Shannon, thank you so much for taking some time out of your crazy busy schedule to come talk with us today. Uh, Can you help me out with a little bit of an intro? I founded really what was meant to be a Facebook page, an online conversation in the hours after the Sandy Hook school shooting tragedy. I had been a stay-at-home mom for five years after a corporate career for over a dozen. And, you know, I grew up in the 80s as a teen, and that's when Mothers Against Drunk Driving became so influential and profoundly impacted uh, my life and the life of others who saw that, you know, responsibility went along with the the right to drive a car. And so I thought, why doesn't this exist? Why isn't there uh, a mom's organization around gun safety? That was the first thing that occurred to me after Sandy Hook. And so I went online, I started a Facebook page, I had 75 Facebook friends. And I just thought, you know, Let's have a conversation about this. And if you know anything about type A women, you know that what I thought would be this online conversation very quickly became an offline movement called Moms Demand Action. Right. So you went from having 75 uh, Facebook friends to how many now? Oh, my gosh. Well, I had to take my Facebook page private, but I have about, you know, half a million Twitter followers uh, and, and as does Moms Demand Action. Their Instagram page is crazy, the amount of followers they have. And off social media in the real world, which is where organizing really takes place, we have about 6 million supporters and hundreds of thousands of active volunteers like me. Right. That's amazing. Now, back up for just a second. Just quickly give me an overview. What is the mission of Moms Demand Action? It's to fight gun violence really on three levels, legislatively. So we show up at every gun bill hearing. We show up in state houses to push back against bad bills, to support good bills. We do the same thing at the federal level. And it's really about building this political power that the NRA has had for decades um, and and to do the same thing. We fight this issue uh, electorally. So getting involved in state and federal elections every single election cycle to get out the vote and to help promote what we call gun sense candidates. And also culturally, talking about secure gun storage is a big part of what we do, making sure that lockdown drills are important, uh, getting influencers on board to support this issue. That That's a really big piece of this as well. Now, you said something that was really interesting that I wanted to kind of hit. You said gun sense versus gun control. Yeah. Can you sort of make that differentiation pretty clear for the people who may <laughs> so, not live this the way you do? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I I lived in Indiana when I started Moms Demand Action and everyone said gun control. And so when I started my Facebook page, it was called One Million Moms uh, for Gun Control. I didn't realize until my gay daughter told me that One Million Moms was an anti-gay group trying to get, <laughs> get Ellen DeGeneres not to be the J.C. Penny spokeswoman. Uh, And then I got a call from a congresswoman who said, we do not ever say gun control. So if you want to be a part of this movement, you need to change your name. And it makes sense. 
that's really, uh, you know, an important part of the vernacular is to not use the polarizing language that the NRA has really taken and made so divisive. So we always say gun safety or gun sense um, and, and not play into that NRA rhetoric. So let me just make sure I'm clear. So gun sense to you is like sort of common sense things like where to store a gun safely. Right. A background check on every gun sale. Things like keeping guns out of the hands of domestic abusers, storing your gun safely. These are all common sense policies that we know the vast majority of Americans and gun owners agree on. And it's just this idea that we have to restore the responsibilities that go along with gun rights. I love that you said that. And I just want to, and I'm sorry if if I'm like beating a dead horse, but I have not heard you say, and very clearly, you're not saying no to guns. You're saying just be responsible with guns. Do common sense things to be a responsible gun owner. Right. There are 400 million guns in this country, enough for every man, woman, and child. Many of our volunteers are gun owners or their partners are gun owners. This is not about undoing the Second Amendment or being against guns. It's really just about responsibilities. All right. Take me back. I have heard you uh, tell this story before, but I really need to hear this again. So when you first started this, the Sandy Hook, uh, I have two questions. First, I'll ask you this. You know, the unfortunate thing is Sandy Hook was not the first uh, school shooting. Right. What was it about the Sandy Hook shooting that prompted you to get onto Facebook to start a, to start the conversation? You know, I had watched so many mass shooting tragedies in my life. I lived in Texas when the massacre at Luby's happened, um, and that was back in the 90s. And I can remember when Columbine happened, I was a, a young mom with three kids under the age of four or five. So, you know, there wasn't much I could do except watch from the sidelines. And then for me, really, the straw that broke the camel's back was the Gabby Giffords shooting of so many people at her event uh, in Tucson. And I thought, OK, surely someone will do something. This is one of their own. This is a Congress member. And as we all know, they did absolutely nothing. And the other thing that's important for me to say is that, you know, I am a white woman who was living in a suburb of Indiana. And so what resonated with me was this idea that my children weren't safe in their schools, not being aware of the fact that 100 Americans are shot and killed every single day in this country, where it's whether it's gun homicides or gun suicides, domestic gun violence, unintentional shootings. And so I was kind of in this bubble. And what I realized very quickly is that school shootings and mass shootings are only about 1% of the gun violence in this country that everyday gun violence is really what is killing over 100 Americans and tearing at the fabric of our communities. I don't even know what to say to that. So how did that hit you when when you first heard that? I mean, here you are, you are a mom, right? You have kids. And to know that the school shootings, which I didn't even know, was only, what, did you say less than 1%? Mass shootings and school shootings are about 1% of the gun violence in this country. Uh, Look, all gun violence is is horrific, and it all needs to be addressed. And there are different ways to do that. And sometimes laws address much of it at the same time. So it just, it became a priority for us to not ignore, for example, suicides. There's so much shame around that in this country. Two-thirds of all gun deaths in this country are suicides, uh, mostly white men in rural communities. To not ignore city gun violence. Black men and black boys are exponentially more likely to be shot and killed than their white peers. And those two issues, gun suicides and gun homicides, while they devastate communities, they have different causes and they have different solutions. But sometimes they're the same, but very often they're different. And and to ignore either um, is to perpetuate this crisis. So when you first got this, these statistics, which I'm getting this for the first time, uh, it breaks my heart. So can you tell me what you felt when you first sort of started taking in this information and taking in these real life stories and for each quote unquote number, understanding that this is a life? How did that impact you? Well, you know, it didn't happen overnight. I knew nothing about gun violence. I knew nothing about organizing. Uh, I, you know, I had to drink from a fire hose for an entire, at least a year, if not two, along with so many other volunteers. I mean, learning all of this 
is you know, to to be able to do interviews and 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 to testify um, at, at hearings. All of this, it just it takes a lot of understanding and researching and and discussions with experts. And so it was sort of a slow process. I, I would also say the 2016 elections were very impactful in our work. I'm I was born in the early 70s, and so intersectionality doesn't come as intuitively as it does for younger generations, I don't think for, for women my age. And so really understanding that you can't talk about gun violence without, without talking about racism. All of that has been a learning process and an important and a life-changing learning process. You know, being a minority woman, but also, you know, living in New York, I, I mean, it was never around guns, really. You know, you mentioned you're a white woman, American woman, um, not really being faced with racism, really, per se. Nope. When you started taking all this information in, how did it begin to sort of shift your perspective of uh, society, race, and also your position in life? How did that sort of compute and how did you process all of that? Well, you know, coming to terms with your own privilege, I think, is an important part of being an activist, especially being a white activist. I'm not necessarily the logical voice to talk about a lot of these issues. And you know, that's why we made it such an important priority for the organization to focus on diversity, inclusion, equality, investing in those efforts. You know, when I started Moms Demand Action, so many of us were white women. And I think it's because of what I said earlier, that we white women in the suburbs were suddenly afraid their children weren't safe in their schools. And yet, Women of color had been doing this work for decades, right? They had been on the front lines. They'd been putting their physical bodies on street corners to stop bullets. And yet here we are showing up, you know, 20 years later, however many years later and saying, oh, we're here. (laughs) And they're kind of like, well, welcome to the fight. You know, it would have been nice if you paid attention when we told you our children were dying. There's a lot of owning up to do for that lack of involvement, but also to say, okay, we were late to this, but how can we partner with these organizations in these communities and make sure that we're lifting up their voices and their work, whether that's fundraising, whether it's showing up at their their vigils and their rallies. It's not enough to ask women of color to come to our events. We have to go to theirs. And that's kind of a motto that we have over and over again, which is, are you showing up in your communities for gun violence when other organizations and groups need you? That's incredible. I don't think it was an easy, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I wasn't in your position, but it it probably was not an easy sort of realization to be like, well, we're here now, you know, Um, and you, you know, potentially were late, but you are acknowledging it and doing what you can now to to make a difference, to to join the fight. That's that's right. But but it is so important. What I have learned in the last seven years is it's not one and done with DEI work. For people who may not know what DEI is, can you help set up what that is? DEI. So DEI stands for Diversity, Equality, and Inclusion Work. It is a. It is never over. And, and I'll give you an example. We were making so much progress on diversifying our chapter leadership and our staff and um, really going to the mat in communities over funding, for example, for city gun violence interruption programs and campaigns. And then Parkland, the horrific Parkland tragedy happened. And we tripled in size almost overnight because so many Americans decided they would wanted to get off the sidelines after that tragedy. But guess what? They looked like me all over again. And so here we were using these strength numbers to become a huge political powerhouse in states across the country. And yet we were whiter than we had ever been. And so it was like going back to the drawing board and saying, okay, we have to double down on this commitment to DEI work and and figure out now how do we do this all over again? So how did you sort of take those steps? Can you can you give me an example where, what you of some a conversation that you might have had with somebody? We have this thing called Gun Sense University every single year. And we decided DEI work was such an important promise and commitment that you cannot attend that every year if you have not gone through the DEI training. And it's very rigorous and long, and it would be easy to put it aside. And Gun Sense University is a very important event for those people who are dedicated to our organization. 
And they've gotten so much out of that work. You know, when I, I looked this morning at Twitter, I saw that Moms Demand Action volunteers have shown up three days in a row. And when I look at the pictures, they're mostly white women, but they are showing up at the D.C. area budget hearings to make sure that there is funding for gun violence prevention, for trauma treatment. And they are relentless in getting the mayor to provide this funding. And I think that is an example of an outcome of that DEI work, that they understand that, yes, you should show up in Virginia and you should canvas and get out the vote and flip the state legislature, but you also need to show up at the budget hearings every single day, even on weekends in D.C., because your community is bigger than just your own town. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. You know, there's a lot of people that say, and, and I was certainly shattered with Sandy Hook, I thought that you'd be a great person to address this, is if Sandy Hook, I mean, that's as low as it gets, almost, you know, pretty much, like that's our bottom. And if nothing was done at that point, Will we ever reach a bottom? I get asked that all the time, right? And, and there's this famous tweet or infamous tweet on Twitter that says, basically, when America did nothing after Sandy Hook, that was the end. Nothing will kind of ever happen on this issue. And I think cynicism and hopelessness is so dangerous on this issue. We don't say those kinds of things about immigration reform. When, when we say that it's hopeless, we buy into the NRA's rhetoric, which is exactly what they want. The reality is this work ends in Congress. It doesn't begin in Congress. And that's why nothing happened in 2013 and 2014 at a federal level, because there were too many lawmakers beholden to the NRA. It had been a decades-long effort. So to think that something would happen overnight, in retrospect, was pretty naive. And I know we want this cathartic moment in Congress, but that ignores all of the work that's being done in state houses and in, in city halls and in boardrooms, right? I mean, we have passed an astounding number of good bills across the country. We have a 90% track record of stopping bad NRA bills every single state legislative session. We have companies finally getting involved in this issue after having to kind of pull them in kicking and screaming for years. So this is no different than marriage equality, which is my gay daughter thinks it happened overnight and she's always been able to marry whoever she wanted when in reality it was decades of hard work what I call the unglamorous heavy lifting of activists on the ground forever. And it would be news to them to think this happened overnight. Right, right. <laughs> That's awesome. I want to get back to something, and I, I need to ask you this, and this is just me trying to figure out my own advice. I, you know, I have a hard time getting together and making brunch plans with my friends, <laughs> okay? And you, here you are, 
you know, folding laundry with a Facebook group of 75 friends. Can you talk about some of the challenges that you faced when you first started? Because, and I joke about this, but I'm not, it is very difficult to even coordinate like lunch plans with people (laughs) that exceed a group of three. At least it is for me. (laughs) And here you are, you've, you're juggling a family. You are facing a political group that is extremely rooted, very well-funded and very powerful. And they've been around for a long time. So they've got like decades over you. Can you tell me about some of the challenges that you personally faced? What and what kept you going at the very initial stages when you didn't have the six million that you have now? Well, some of it was naivete, not realizing the insurmountable challenge I faced made it easier to digest. The other was anger. I was incredibly angry at what had happened. And that, I guess it's maybe a personality trait, but that anger really has fueled me forward for seven years. And I would also say that it was the incredible support from perfect strangers across the country. As soon as I put that Facebook page up, I was hearing, you know, again, these type A women were Googling me and all my information was public because I never imagined I would be doing something like this. So they found my number and my email address and they said, I want to do this where I live. And all of these amazing experts came to the table, whether they were organizers or policy experts or lawyers or website developers. I mean, the array of support and volunteerism that I received in those early days was astounding. But even the smallest of things, I can remember there were all these trolls that were on the Facebook page I'd created. And Sandy Hook families were sending me their pictures and their stories because they saw the energy around our organization and they wanted to be supportive and they wanted to help pass legislation around it. And so when I would post those, it would immediately be attacked by so many trolls. And I was trying to start this new organization while deleting all these horrific comments myself, right, on these, on this Facebook page. And I can remember, I just thought, I am so overwhelmed. In fact, I may have been crying on the floor of my closet. And I got a call from a woman who said, I live in Indianapolis. I am disabled. I'm home all day. I see you have all these trolls on your Facebook page. If you give me access, I'll spend my days deleting them. And that's what she did for years. I never even met her, even though she lived in the same city. But I I felt it, it was, I don't know what it was, but the universe seemed to remove every obstacle that was in my way every time I was presented with one. That's incredible. Now, I'm sure in your day to day, you meet um, many people that have been directly affected uh, by gun violence. Um, Can you share one that resonated with you? And it may have been very hard story, but you felt like, you know, you're doing the right thing. One of the most important relationships that I have is uh, my friendship with Lucy McBath. So Lucy McBath, um, her son, Jordan Davis, a 17-year-old black teen, was shot and killed in Florida by a middle-aged white man who said his music was too loud, opened fire on Jordan and his friends in a gas station, killing Jordan. And that was just just weeks before the Sandy Hook school tragedy. So after I started Moms Demand Action, someone arranged a call between Lucy and I. She was living in Georgia, and she said, I'd like to get involved. And I, I asked her to be the spokeswoman for Moms Demand Action, not really even knowing what that meant. You know, we were only six months old, but she became a volunteer. We supported Lucy through the trials. There were two of her son's killer. And then eventually Lucy became a colleague. We hired her and she did amazing outreach work. But every time I had a conversation with Lucy, I would always say to her at the end of it, when are you running for office? Thinking, okay, she's going to run for a state ledge in Georgia. And one day she called me and she said, you know, I am, I'm running. And then it ended up that she ran for Congress. And she is now a congresswoman in the state of Georgia. She won Newt Gingrich's seat. And one of the first things she did as a congresswoman is to pass uh, gun safety legislation for the first time in the House in decades. 
So, you know, that has been a very important uh, relationship. And I'm just sort of in awe of her and what she has accomplished in the wake of her son's murder. That's amazing. I mean, you sound superhuman for all the things that you do. And I, I feel embarrassed to say that I still can't coordinate lunch <laughs> with my friends. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I don't know, Shannon. Help me out here. It's just three people trying to get pancakes. You shared a story about crying on your floor. Was there ever a moment where you just said, like, I, I understand that this is important, but I have a family. You're going up, up against a group that is, I'm sure, has crushing pressure. Did you ever just, like, go okay, I can only do so much and I can't do it anymore. Yes. I, I probably have one of those moments every year. I can, t you know, whether it's the NRA threatening me, whether it's, uh, you know, a, a volunteer revolt over something, whether it's, you know, something unexpected that happens or a tragedy or, you know, there's so many different reasons that I sometimes feel overwhelmed. And, uh, you know, I'll give you an example for some reason, the story of Riley Howell, I don't know if you know who that is, but he was a student in North Carolina who fought off a, a shooter that showed up at the campus last year, and he tried to take him down and he was killed. Uh, they recently uh, named a Jedi after him in the Star Wars movie. And his girlfriend posted a video about them um, on Christmas Eve morning. And I saw that video and, and Riley looks so much like my own son that it just put me, I think I, I spent the day crying in bed. <laughs> and I don't think it was just Riley's story. I think it was sort of accumulated. I, I hate to use the word trauma because I have not been impacted directly by gun violence, but just, um, you know, bad juju uh, uh, that, that piles up. Yeah, I mean, you can't not be impacted by out. other people's stories and you're faced yeah, with yes. firsthand accounts every single day. Yeah, I can't yeah. imagine that you wouldn't be affected. I, I think I am. And I, I think a lot of our volunteers are because I can't tell you how many times I wake up in the morning and look at my, my iPhone and it's, you know, telling me the latest horrific mass shooting that happened while I was asleep. Um, and, and that's just par for the course with this activism. But I, I think self-care is incredibly important as an activist in all realms of activism, but in, particularly in this one. So what kept you going? You know, I, I am, I'm an only child. I'm an introvert. Uh, I moved around a lot in my life. And so, you know, I, I never had this huge squad of, of girlfriends and women. And suddenly now I do. Uh, Mom's Demand Action is, is an amazing built-in, almost like an adult sorority, right? I have these friends all over the country uh, that, have, that will be lifelong relationships. And just that support and camaraderie that you get from being part of this huge organization of mostly women. We call ourselves Mothers and Others. But it, it is profound. And when I am feeling myself get down or overwhelmed. Um, they are the ones who lift me up. Right, right. No, I talk about self care. I did read something and I wanted to ask you about it. Um, you self care riding on a Peloton for like eight miles listening to 80s music. Is that right? <laughs> yes, yes, almost every single day. Uh, the okay. best thing I ever did was to sell all my gym equipment and buy a Peloton. Okay. I don't know that I would stay on a Peloton for more than 30 seconds without needing like um, an ambulance, but I need to press uh, you also. What 80s music? Because I'm in the, of the same era, so I could go toe-to-toe yes, yes. -to -toe with you on 80s trivia. Well, I just tweeted this. that I, I tweeted that if there was any song after my death played that made my family think of me, it would be Come On Eileen. Oh, yeah. Dexies, right? Yep. Dexie Midnight Runners. It's a good jam. <laughs> You are human with a love of 80s. You and I can That's definitely so get down. So much better than 90s. Oh, my God. Really? I mean, we had Cindy Lauper... Oh my God. Yeah, like, it's so much, it's better. so much better. That's awesome. But wow, that's so that's kind of a way for you to release some stress, right? Like to kind yeah, of take yeah, care of yourself. I, I had this thought the other day, and I don't know if this happens to other people, but I always cry. And I don't mean like sobbing, but I tear up during cardio. And I don't know what that's about. It must be like a release. During cardio? Yeah. Anytime I do any kind of cardio, I tear up. Wow. I don't know. Just thinking about the gym makes me cry just because I hate it. <laughs> but that's just 
So more, I don't know how you have the discipline or the time or the hours in a day that you're able to do all of that. So I wrote a book called Fight Like a Mother and, and all the proceeds go to gun violence prevention organizations. But I say that women and especially moms, I think are multitasking mofos. I mean, I can do 90 things at once. Perfect segue, actually. I want to definitely talk about your book. But before we do that, you said something and while I was doing my research that I love, and, and I don't want to misquote you, but the idea of moms, you said it's the secret sauce of your success. What is it about the idea of moms that sort of brings this sort of unique combination or cocktail? I mean, what is it about mothers that translates to being such a formidable group? Because Back in the day of when, you know, maybe when we were growing up, like mothers were not really thought of as these ass kicking warriors. Uh, it seems like that sort of imagery has shifted. Can you talk about I agree. why that has changed and how it works for you guys? Well, you know, it's, it's such an interesting conversation. Women have been on the front lines of activism in this country forever. I mean, if you look at prohibition, right, that was really the first time women were allowed to get involved so long ago. and it was because men felt that they were the right spokespeople. Temperance was sort of this Christian ideology. And men could never put the genie back in the bottle after that. Women had a taste of activism and using their voices. And that was it. And, and civil rights and child labor laws, all the way up to the water crisis in Flint, Michigan, it's really been women and moms on the front lines of activism. And it's a fair point when people to say to me, women shouldn't have to use this idea of being a mom to fight for things. They should just be able to fight for it as women. And I don't disagree, but you also have to be pragmatic, which is that this is who lawmakers want on their side. They want women and moms, and they often listen to us in the mom role. I think that's evolving and changing, but it's so incredibly powerful. And I was talking to Soraya Shamali, who is a, a feminist writer. And she was saying, you know, there's actually data that shows that men are scared of the mother figure. And when they <laughs> demand things as moms, they're more likely to listen. And 80% of our lawmakers are men. If that's how we're going to scare the shit out of them as coming at them as their mom figure, that's fine. Why is that though? It's sort of an inherent genetic fear, I think. That's awesome. And we can also do like 10,000 things at once, can't we? multitasking mofos. You combine all that stuff and it's kind of impressive. That actually screams a t-shirt. Multitasking. I completely agree with you. Multitasking mofo. You need to get that done and hashtag the shit out of that. I like it. I like it too. Let's go to talk about your book, Fight Like a Mother. What is the book about and why is it titled Fight Like a Mother? Which by the way, best title ever. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So you know, it was really written for three reasons. The first is I wanted to put in words what it was like to go from being a stay-at-home mom of five to really an accidental activist in an issue that can be very volatile. And so I, I wanted to capture that because I get asked about it a lot. I wanted to put on paper, this is the second reason, I wanted to put on paper how we did it. And I always say, you know, I'm perimenopausal and I, I can't remember anything, so I better get it down and, and remember it before it's too late. Uh, and then the third reason is it's really part manifesto, which is if you are a mom, if you are a woman, if you are an activist, you have the skills that make will make you a good lawmaker. We hold only about 27% of the 500,000 elected positions in this country. And as the saying goes, if you don't have a seat at the table, you are probably on the menu. And I just am encouraging and helping women run for office all across the country. It's a big part of what we do at Moms Demand Action. The first thing you realize if you go to a state house is that these men are not rocket scientists. I'm sorry to tell you. And so I just think if you're passionate about an issue, you can do a much better job. <laughs> That's awesome. This also sort of dovetails into another one of your efforts called Emerge America, right? Yeah. So I'm on the board of Emerge America, which is this great organization that's really almost set up like Moms Demand Action. They're, they have a presence in almost every single state, and they're really focused on down-ballot races, not just Congress. Uh, Emily's List is, is sort of a federal election focus, but Emerge, if you want to run for city council or sheriff or coroner or state house, whatever it is, um, they will help you run. Now, I want to go back to something. I'm still astounded by how you were able to figure out how to lobby when you had no, I mean, you were a communications expert for a while, right? 
Yeah, I I had a career in corporate communications, public relations. And so it's interesting to me that I started my career media training people, writing speeches, press releases, all of these things that have been instrumental in helping me do what I do. Absolutely. But it doesn't necessarily translate to figuring out how to lobby to politicians, even if they're not rocket scientists. Right. When did you actually find your footing and your voice to do that? And what helped you get like, what was that turning point? Again, it was really drinking from a fire hose. It was all of these uh, policy experts, organizing experts who gave their support to us pro bono. But, you know, I realized about six months in when people, we had this amazing grassroots army, but people weren't interested in giving this woman they'd never heard of from Indiana money, right? So we were struggling with fundraising, but we were just doing an amazing work and organizing. But a lot of these volunteers kind of said, look, if I if I can't get paid for what has become a full-time job, I, I'm not going to be able to keep going. Right. And so I realized we would need to partner with another organization. And I interviewed organizations inside and outside the space and eventually settled on Mayors Against Illegal Guns, which was a group that was doing something similar. And we partnered. Then we formed Every Town for Gun Safety, which is the umbrella over Moms Demand Action and Students Demand Action and all of the other kind of umbrella organizations that we've created. And we have 375,000 donors now, which enables us to, to do all of this grassroots work, but also to fund strategists and experts that help us in every state be the best advocates we can be. Now, a lot of times it's hard, at least for people that are not in the activist world as you are, get so discouraged because you don't hear about a lot of the wins. Can you tell me a little bit about some of the successes that you and your organization have been able to put through and how? Because all we hear are like, you know, that gun violence is going on and we don't feel like anything is happening. Yeah, no, I, I, I know. I, I, this is what I spend most of my time doing is talking to media and going around the country and reminding people that we're winning on this issue. Now, we've now closed the background check loophole that, that Congress hasn't in 21 states. We have passed laws that disarm domestic abusers in 28 states. We've passed something called the red flag law that allows families or police to get a temporary restraining order from a judge and disarm someone who is a danger to themselves or others. We've passed that law in 17 states. It will soon be 18 and 19, thanks to New Mexico and Virginia. We have passed safe storage requirements in school districts across the country. Recently in the Los Angeles Unified School District, one of the largest in the country with 700,000 families. So all of this work is being done every single day in every state, you know, and then at a federal level, we outspent and outmaneuvered the NRA in 2018 for the first time ever. Our candidates beat there 77% of the time. And then in Virginia in November, the reason that, that we're able to pass stronger laws there is because we outspent the NRA eight to one and we flipped both chambers of the General Assembly. So all of this is work is being done and it's being done, you know, day in and day out. And it's important to remember that we are winning. That's awesome. Can you tell me some of the the like most effective ways that you've been able to do that? I know that there's another story where there was like, um, and I might be misquoting this, is like Starbucks had like a, like you were fine to carry guns into stores. Yeah. So corporate work is so important. I can remember watching the TV and and seeing on the news that um, Starbucks, this was back in 2014, they were going to stop allowing smoking and electronic cigarettes 20 feet outside its stores, regardless of state law. Right. So I called them and I said, you know, will you do the same thing around around guns? Because people were open carrying weapons into Starbucks, perfectly legal in 45 states. Okay, hold up, hold up. (laughs) So you were not allowed to smoke outside of Starbucks, but you can carry a pistol into... Or an AR-15 inside. Or an AR-15 to go get my latte. Yes, that That was was okay. That was the policy. I might have missed a turn there somewhere, but that seems not really right. So 45 states allow you to carry, um, openly carry, which means it's visible to the public, your loaded handgun or a loaded semi-automatic rifle. And it's not regulated in many states, right? Because it was sort of this idea of used for hunting, to take your guns from the car to the hunting grounds. And so gun extremists have really exploited those laws and made it about extremism. We saw gun extremists doing this at Starbucks. And then when we decided to go after Starbucks, these gun extremists doubled down and they were showing up 
everywhere across the country where it was legal. Uh, I can remember in Sioux Falls, over a dozen people with handguns and semi-automatic rifles showed up at a Starbucks, terrifying the customers, but there was nothing management could do because that was their policy. And so in three months, by putting pressure and, and using the hashtag Skip Starbucks Saturdays, we were able to get Starbucks to change their policy. And We've replicated that now at more than a dozen major restaurants and retailers. But interestingly, after the mass shooting at an El Paso Walmart, we had been putting pressure for years on Walmart to stop allowing open carry. And they finally did so after conversations with us after El Paso. And then we were able to use the hashtag groceries, not guns to get 40 other major grocery stores to do the same. It was so fun because it was it was on Twitter. And all we had to do was use the hashtag call out CVS, they would immediately say, we've changed our policy. We called out Walgreens. We've immediately changed our policy. We called out, um, you know, all these major groceries. Kroger, which we had worked on for years, including advertising and billboards and meetings with their executives. It just took 24 hours. It was like Walmart was the, the just broke the dam. Seriously, how good did that feel? Uh, I mean, it was it, it, after a horrific tragedy like that to see a little bit of of hope was really important at that point. So come on, after that, what did you do? Like bust open a bottle of bubbly and break out like sure. some 80s music? I mean, come and Eileen, it was on, <laughs> it's on a, endless an loop. endless loop. I think Girls Just Want to Have Fun should be on your playlist as well. It is. <laughs> okay, good enough, good enough. What you've been able to accomplish has been tremendous. Can I ask you for advice for people who still may not have found the confidence or their voice as you have? You have to figure out what your passion and your talents are. And I really believe at that intersection is where you will find incredible fulfillment. For me, it was this idea of communications and writing, being an advocate, and also organizing with other women. For me, that was you know, where my passion ended up being. And I had no idea that I would ever be doing this. I never imagined. And everyone has a different skill set and also they're passionate about something that's different. But what I find unique to women, and again, I write about this in Fight Like a Mother, is so often women know what their passion and their skill sets are, but they're afraid to take that first step because they don't want to be seen as foolish or wrong. If I had waited until all the T's were crossed and the I's were dotted to start my Facebook page, Moms Demand Action never would have started. And I didn't wait. I just jumped in, even though there were people telling me I wasn't the right person. I didn't know enough. It had already been done. I was reinventing the wheel. It could never be done, whatever it was. I didn't listen. I'm so incredibly grateful that I went ahead with my passion and my skill set because sometimes you do fail. And there was probably much more of a chance this wasn't going to work out than it was. But it succeeded. And how many times could something succeed that, that women just don't? I, I call building the, plane, building the plane as you fly it. How many times does something fail because women aren't willing to do that? You know, what, what struck me is, as I listened to you talk is that Moms Demand Action is so much more than, um, you know, a group of women, you know, lobbying for gun sense. Um, it seems like there's very much a community amongst women about sort of building one another up and be a sisterhood. Is that fair to say? Yes, it is very much a sisterhood. I, you, if you ask me to go back and create something this strong with such amazing energy all over again on another issue, I couldn't. I really don't think I could. Some of it was lightning in a bottle. And the fact that we have this strong connection across the country and that we support one another and that we're there for gun violence survivors. And I, I just, it's, it's been such an important reinforcement of humanity for me that there is this, this love that underpins everything we do. Has that been the most fulfilling element about this entire journey and experience for you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, to, to see the selflessness, not only in their time and their talent, of our volunteers, you know, one of my favorite things is that I get to make thank you calls every week. And it never fails that I start to cry either during the call or on their voicemail because I, I'm reading these notes someone has given me about the amazing things they've done out of the goodness of their heart to save the lives of complete strangers. And it's just so moving to me that these people 
are so committed to this cause and that they also feel empowered and emboldened by it. I mean, it's just this amazing circle. It sounds incredible. Now, I need to ask you something. Are there ways that gun sense and gun owners or people who are all about, you know, owning guns, I don't know if I'm using the right terminology here, but is there a way that the two sides can coexist in your opinion? Oh, absolutely. So it's important to remember that 80% of gun owners and 74% of NRA members actually support stronger gun laws. This is not a polarizing issue. It can be a volatile issue, but it is not polarizing unless you're talking about lawmakers. And so our organization is made up of many gun owners. Whenever we have coalitions that go into state houses uh, to testify or to support or oppose something. It always includes gun owners. The vast majority of gun owners in this country are responsible. They believe that they should have to have a background check. They believe that domestic abusers shouldn't have easy access to guns. It's This is about a very radicalized gun lobby that is doing the bidding with hundreds of millions of dollars from gun manufacturers. I mean, it's it's the story of every special, special interest that's ever existed. Having said all this, and the other thing that I thought was really incredible that I wanted to point out is that within your group, you have gun owners. So again, I can't stress enough that you guys are not an anti-gun group. No. And that's why it's so important. You know, I, we're, we are a moderate, nonpartisan, research-based organization. Our job is to get Republicans to support our efforts, too, because we don't solve this issue until this is what every lawmaker believes, that we should have common sense gun laws. There are things to celebrate. And there's something that I wanted to, to bring up, and I'd love for you to talk about it. You guys have an event coming up called Wear Orange, where you celebrate survivors, which, again, sounds a little bit going against what you'd think guns would, that you'd have anything to celebrate with guns. Tell us a little bit about the event that's coming up. Every year we have a Wear Orange Weekend where um, we, it's, it's in June and it's a really non-polarizing way for everyone to talk about the fact that gun violence is a crisis in this country. And we have events in communities across the country, whether it's a rally or a vigil or a march. And then Influencers get involved. You'll often see lawmakers, celebrities, athletes wearing orange that day. And we also light landscapes up across the country, skylines, um, orange. And it's almost like the color pink with breast cancer. It was started by, there was a, a, a black teen in Chicago named Hydea Pendleton. She was walking home from school and she was shot and killed. And her friends in Chicago at her memorial wore orange because it's the color that hunters wear to say, don't shoot me when they're in the woods. And together we've worked to make orange the color of gun violence prevention. And, and it's such an important weekend to get involved. Oh, that's what a, what a powerful story. So Shannon, for people who are listening that want to get involved with your organization, how can people jump in and get involved? So first of all, you can text the word ready to 64433. We will get back to you immediately and get you involved where you live. And if you're a student, you can text the word students, plural, to 64433. And we have a website, momsmanaction.org. Uh, we have an Instagram. We have a Twitter. And the other thing I would say is as we head into election season, be educated about who you're voting for. And you can do that by going to gunsensevoter.org. I mean, you went from being a mom and a corporate executive, which is stratospheres and light years away from where you are now. I mean, you are a warrior. So what does your family think about all of this? They're very proud. You know, I, what you realize when you have teens is that they're very much interested in their own lives and not so much <laughs> yours. My kids often come with me to Moms Demand Action events. I was really thrilled that my son came with me uh, recently to, I did two Women's March events in one day. And I could tell, even though he's a 19-year-old boy, that he was very proud. It, they've been so supportive, you know, particularly my husband. Our lives, as you can imagine, completely changed the day after I started this Facebook page. I went from being a stay-at-home mom to being on the road much of every single week. And my husband's support and pride in what I do has, has enabled me to do this. You know, throughout this conversation, we've hit a lot of notes. We've talked about guns the superpowers that mothers have, empowering other women, um, the community of women, um, being a leader. So throughout all of it, what's the one thing you take away? 
you are facing a classic David and Goliath story and you're, you're winning. Yep. You are, you're winning. Put all of that together and just not being able to have a whole lot of time to, you know, get on your Peloton, see your family or just be in your pajamas. Mm-hmm. What's the one thing that you take with you that says that fulfills you, that enriches your life, that you, that you know has reshaped how you see the world? I really think it's getting women elected to office. You know, we had dozens of volunteers run and win their elections in this last election cycle. Many, many more will run in 2020. And they've all said what they learned as volunteers with Moms Demand Action is how and why they were successful running for office and then getting elected. And to me, that is what's shaping this country because it's not just on this issue. They'll certainly go to wherever they land and and vote the right way on this issue. But if you look at Virginia, for example, the General Assembly we helped elect also just passed the ERA. So it just has multitudes of waves of impact. And I think that's um, the thing that I am most proud of at the end of the day. So Shannon, would you help sign us off? I'm Shannon Watts, founder of Moms Demand Action. And I represent a badass army of women taking on the gun lobby and changing the country. Thank you to Shannon Watts for being here and for all the work she and Moms Demand Action are doing to promote gun safety. For more information or to join the movement, go to momsdemandaction.org. You can also follow Shannon on Twitter. Her handle is at Shannon Watts. And be sure to get your copy of Fight Like a Mother, available online and at bookstores now. My next guest is Lyris Cross, affectionately nicknamed the Naomi Campbell of Plus. She is a model, actress, and successful businesswoman. She's going to be here telling us how she's smashing barriers on the runway and beyond. Reppin is available on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and all top podcast platforms. So subscribe, share, and leave a review. You can reach us on Twitter at Reppin Podcast. And you know what? Follow us on Instagram, Reppin underscore podcast. You'll see who's coming up next and get exclusive behind-the-scenes content. Thanks always to my technical director and musical composer, Nelson Pinero, for lending his time and talent. And always love and thanks to Gracie Kong. Reppin is a Suburban Outlaw Productions. Until next time, stand up and represent. Once upon a time, there was a girl who dreamed of flying through the stars, who dared to resist injustice, who lived to a beat and a rhythm that was all her own. Her name was Chloe Frida. Oprah, Celia Cruz, Josephine, Greta, Ruth, Alice. One day, she wondered, could today be the beginning of something new? This was her one opportunity to do something, something big. So that's exactly what she did. Along the way, she discovered that she wasn't alone. Her body felt strong, her mind sharp. She was prepared to work as hard as it took. Her words were making a real change, and she felt powerful. I'm Gail King. I'm Andrea Day. I'm Diane Gibbons. I'm Lindsay Vaughn. I'm Jamila Jamal. I'm Anita Hill. I'm Brenda Chapman. I'm Alana Glazer. And this is Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or find out more at rebelgirls.com slash audio.